Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Dinner Politics. Politics. So we, we didn't coordinate that this time. Maybe next time. <laughs> next time we should practice. There's always tomorrow. There is always tomorrow. So speaking of tomorrow, or many tomorrows, your plan is professionally to be a healthcare professional. Is that is not? my that is my ultimate goal. Yes. You're studying for the MCAT. I'm not. I'm not trying to be a professional podcaster forever. Well, you know, you're making the big bucks doing it now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're not making any money doing that, just to let everybody know that. But uh, well, speaking of big bucks, the reason I bring this up is I'm very interested in your opinion on Bernie Sanders's proposal for Medicare for all. This is his idea, whereas the Libertarian Mercatus Center, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I have no idea. (laughs) Well, they just recently reviewed a study, released a study that says the plan would cost the federal government an additional $32.6 trillion Hmm. over 10 years. That is a lot of money. So what do you think? Good plan? Um, I don't know enough about it. Do you have like more information you can give me i haven't like read up about it well as much as i should have you know this is one of the issues that got dad your grandfather i'm never quite sure how to refer to my father your grandfather appropriately how about bobby bobby we just call him bobby bennett you know he was called bobby bennett when he was growing up and he hated it and so never mind uh, (laughs) sorry grandpa that's all right well uh bob bennett senator bennett got beaten up because he had a health care plan that tried to expand coverage as well as lower costs. And the argument that he always used to make, which I think is a persuasive argument, is that the United States has for a very long time had universal health care, even prior to the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. But that, uh, that universal health care was delivered in the most inefficient way possible. Mm-hmm. That is, people would get sick, and if they couldn't afford health care, they would just go to an emergency room, and emergency rooms by law have to treat anybody regardless of their ability to pay. Right. And so he said, if we're going to provide health care for everybody, and we're not going to allow people to die on the street for lack of health care, we ought to figure out a way to do that in the most efficient way possible. Mm-hmm. Now, Medicare for All, which is Bernie Sanders' idea, is to expand the entitlement program for seniors to everybody. And one of the things it would do is it would reduce the amount of money that you personally will make because Medicare reimbursement is 40% (sighs) less than what people get in private insurance. Are you okay with that? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like there's, there's a, um, um, there's like a doctor shortage, you know, in the United States right now. Right. And um, one of the reasons for that is that like the cost benefit analysis for becoming a doctor for a lot of people just isn't worth it. You know, like you go into like a quarter million dollars of debt in medical school. And the only reason why a person would do that is to hopefully make back their money plus more. And so I feel like this isn't going to help the doctor shortage at all. Like, um, this is going to drive more people out of the medical profession? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, um, you know, like PAs, like physician assistants or NPs, like nurse practitioners. There's a lot more of those because, a, like, a, a big reason for that is that it's less expensive to become one. It takes less school. 
Um, but I've, I've, I've wanted to be a doctor for a long time, so this isn't going to change my mind. Like, I want to do it from reasons besides the money, which obviously the money is a great benefit. But um, <laughs> well, We're hoping that you can support us in our old age. Uh, don't, I don't know. Don't count on it if I'm still paying off my own uh, loans um, if, this, if this happens. But I don't know. It is... It is there's just so many factors to think about when when we just yell like medicare for all there's just so many there's so many things that i don't know that will be affected well one would of the, be affected if it actually happened well one of the arguments being made in favor of this is to say okay this is going to massively expand the amount of money the federal government is spending why but, would that be in favor well no i said while this is doing that Others are saying, well, this is actually reducing overall health care costs. It's just shifting the burden from the private sector to the public sector and funding health care through taxes rather through pri- private insurance premiums. So is this, I don't know if you know the answer to this, is this similar to what like um, Europe and Canada have? Like how similar would this yeah, idea uh, no, be? No, I think it'd be very similar. It's a single-payer health care system. So the idea is that anybody who walks into a hospital gets treatment and the government pays for it. That's what happens in Canada. That's what happens in Great Britain. That's what happens in most countries in Western Europe. Uh, And that's not what happens in the United States. Uh, The problem with that is, I mean, there there are a number of problems with it. And a lot of the uh, European countries are discovering that there are shortages that happen when you when you go through that, and then there's rationing that ends up happening. There are long wait times and those kinds of things. Uh, it tends to dampen uh, innovation in healthcare mm-hmm. when there's really no economic incentive to pursue new kinds of, of treatments. Uh, so, so there, 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 but there's also the fact that people get to go in and get healthcare, and they don't have to pay for it although they are paying for it in taxes and all that kind of thing. So it just sort of shifts the burden. And so, you know, you look at it and people who say, okay, well, it's going to reduce the cost of health care, but it's also going to, I think, massively expand the relationship of the average individual with the federal government. Right now... We... I don't know if I want to take my relationship with the federal government to the next level. I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not ready for that kind of commitment. We haven't talked it through or anything yet. Well, we haven't talked. I it was, through. I was nice. I was like happy with our casual friends with benefits relationship. I don't know if I'm ready to <laughs> step it up. That's how you define the the relationship with the federal government is friends with benefits. For me, right now, yeah, I, I pay hardly any taxes because I'm a poor student, and I benefit from I don't know well, a lot of things. I mean, I'm not contributing that much to society right now. I'm kind of a leech on society in my current state. I'm just taking. I'm not giving yet. Well, that's good. I don't know if that's For good. me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's nice to be on the, on the leeching end. Uh, but, yeah, you reach a point. Everybody ends up reaching a point to some degree when you realize that you have to start pulling the wagon instead of being dragged in the wagon. Uh, I, I'm looking here at an article by Charles C.W. Cook at National Review, where... C.W. is his middle name? C, well, I think he has a C and a W. I don't know what each one stands for. What, this is, what does D.W. stand for in Arthur? Oh, yeah? 
I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, there was one episode, the Arthur the Kids show, the cartoon about the aardvark, where he said it stood for danger warning. I remember watching that when I was a kid and being like, oh, that was a good one. Oh, that's Anyways, good. back to... <laughs> I don't think that's what it actually that stood That was a tangent. For, though, Tangents are always nice. So, C.W. Cook, Charles C.W. Cook, does that stand for some cancer warning? I don't know. Warning? All right. Uh, he says... He takes issue with those who say it's going to actually reduce the money. And he says, in order to make that happen, you're going to have to force every doctor and hospital in America to accept Medicare reimbursement rates for all patients. These are 40% lower than the rates paid by private insurance. While assuming that this would have absolutely no effect on their capacity or willingness to provide services. So I think that goes to what you're talking about with regard to the doctor shortage. Mm-hmm. That people are people are going to look at this and say, okay, maybe maybe... Uh, healthcare isn't the most rewarding profession I can pursue. Mm-hmm. It will also raise taxes by 10% of GDP overnight. Uh, that's not just taxes being raised by 10%, but 10% of the entire gross domestic product of the country will be collected in taxes. Uh, it will also They'll also have to explain to the 150 million people with private insurance that the rules have been changed so dramatically that A, they, cannot, they can no longer keep their plans, and B, henceforth, Tens of millions among them will be paying more in taxes than they were previously paying in both premiums and out-of-pocket costs. So that strikes me as just not necessarily the greatest way to do this. Right. I have a question. Like, um, obviously, like, our health care system, like, isn't perfect. But I just am always confused why people with no experience in health care are the ones writing the laws. Like, what is... Like, I'm sure Bernie Sanders has great intentions, but why do they not, like, or maybe they do, do they bring in, like, doctors and hospital administrators and things to actually talk through the logistics and, like, the nitty-gritty of all this when they're trying to come up with their bills and things? Like, That's an excellent question. There's just One so many. will answer when we get back ooh, from our break. Ooh, look at that. So you're concerned that politicians are not qualified to be making health care decisions? Yes, definitely. Uh, that's an excellent point. And Bobby, you know, your Bobby B. Bobby B. Your grandfather, my father, uh, f- felt that very keenly because he wasn't responsible when he was in the Senate for being in charge of the healthcare Republican health care task force. And so he spent a great deal of time visiting with people to try to discuss health care with people who understood how it worked. And the conclusion that he came to was that Medicare was a state-of-the-art health care delivery system for 1955. And Why not 1956 or 1954? I think 54, it was even better than it could have possibly been. Mm, By 56, okay. it started to go downhill. Okay, gotcha. But the point is, Medicare is not streamlined and is not efficient, and there's so much waste and there's so much inefficiency and bureaucracy that uh, we need a new approach to be able to deliver health care services and to expand the state-of-the-art health care system of 1955 to encompass all Americans I think would be a massive mistake. That doesn't mean that universal health care is a massive mistake. It means that the way we currently deliver health care is not optimized for the 21st century. At least that's what Bobby B would probably say if he were here. Mm-hmm. 
Now I'm now I'm calling my own father Bobby B. Are you happy with yourself? I'm I'm satisfied, you're, yes. You're reasonably happy? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thought about Bobby B. also as the news came out this week about a new book being published by Bob Woodward. Okay. Do you know who Bob Woodward is? No. So Bob Woodward was at the center of the Watergate scandal. He was the reporter, Bob Woodward. We've already talked about this, Grandpa's involvement with Watergate. Yeah, we've talked about Watergate and Grandpa's involvement with Watergate. Uh, Grandpa was a good friend of Bob Woodward. He sat down and explained his theory of who he thought, who Bobby B. thought, uh, Deep Throat was to Bob Woodward. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently Richard Nixon, after he left office, uh, had plenty of time on his hands. Mm -hmm. And he sat around and went through all of Bob Woodward's articles for the Washington Post and tried to determine what it was that Deep Throat knew and who it was that would have been able to know that. Mm -hmm. And he came upon one article that talked about a meeting that took place between H.R. Haldeman and Richard Nixon. And he said the only three people who knew about that meeting were Richard Nixon, H.R. Haldeman, and a low-level White House staffer whose responsibility it was to set up meetings. His name was Noble Mellencamp. Mm -hmm. And so Dad thought for decades that Noble Mellencamp was deep throat. And he sat down at uh, lunch with Bob Woodward and he said, that's the best theory I've ever heard. Of course, I've never heard of Noble Mellencamp. And, of course, we now know who Deep Throat is. I always wanted to write that book about Dad called My Father Deep Throat. But uh, in that, now that everybody knows who he now is... Now your dream is over. Well, you can write one about my grandfather, Bobby B. What do you think? Mm, I think I'll be busy, hopefully, um, getting paid not enough for my job. Well, I understand. Getting 40% of what you would have been getting if Medicare had been, had been given to all. Yeah. Well... Uh, Bob Woodward has written a new book called Fear, and it's a book about the Trump White House. And the thing that's remarkable is that Bob Woodward has written a number of these books. I always, the okay, sorry to interrupt, but I, I'll, there's so many books about Trump and stuff, and they're always like, number one on the bestseller list. Who is buying these books? Like, like how many, how many like, things are there to say in a book, you know? There's so many Trump books right now out. That's true. Uh, this I have one. no desire to read any of them. I read Fire and Fury. Have you have you heard of that one? Uh, I think I saw it around our house, but I didn't ever. Well, Fire and Fury was the big one that uh, used Steve Bannon as a source and said all kinds of things, and it, it made, made Trump really furious. Uh, but it was ultimately. It's not particularly reliable. It relies more on sort of sensational accounts that aren't necessarily verifiable. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bob, Wood- Bob Woodward is a journalist's journalist. Okay. He's about as reliable as they come. And this is going to have many firsthand accounts with people who have been in the room when major decisions have been made by Donald Trump. Apparently Trump did not sit for an interview with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a... It's a book I'm going to. I'm interested in reading because I think Bob Woodward's assessment is probably going to be one that will be definitive in a way that the previous books that you've seen have not been. Okay. So there are a number of ways to be able to inter- interview Trump junkies, and Bob Woodward is one, and Sasha Baron Cohen is another. I've since watched three episodes of his new series, Who Is America. Yeah, You're we not, talked about we talked about this a little bit. We talked about this a little bit. The last one was a real dud. He went and interviewed Roy Moore. You know Roy Moore? 
the Senate the, candidate. Yeah, the guy who rode a horse to vote for himself. He rode a horse to vote for himself. And the and horse was, was not of, happy about it. Accused of sexual relationships with underage girls. Right. That's probably the more important thing that he's known for, not right. the horse thing. And so Sasha Baron Cohen pretended to be an Israeli commando who had invented technology that it's like a, a metal wand you have at the airports to, to search for metal. Okay. Only this one can, can tell whether or not you are a pedophile based on your sweat glands. Hmm, that would be useful And he started waving it, it over Roy Moore, and it started beeping. And Roy Moore just stood up and left. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of funny, I guess, except you didn't get anything out of him where he embarrassed himself. You were the one who embarrassed yourself, Sasha Baron Cohen, by doing this. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, th- there have been several. He, he, he ambushed Bernie and got nowhere. He ambushed Ted Koppel. We talked about that last week. He got nowhere. But he did get somewhere with a Georgia state senator who was shouting the N-word and taking off his pants to scare away people based on his training being given to him by Sasha Baron Cohen. And and some of those kinds of things. And he also did this one thing where he went to Arizona and announced the building of a $385 million mosque in the center of a white bread community. And all of these people started saying racist things and yelling at him. Okay. Wait, what is, why are we talking about this again? Why are we talking about Sasha Baron Cohen? Well, because this is the, the whole idea of the show, Who is America? People are pointing to this as saying, this is defining who America really is, that we are all a bunch of racists, that everybody who supports Trump is a terrible person like that. And I just don't necessarily think that's appropriate. Maybe I have a little more faith in America than that. Uh, I don't know. Are, I don't know. I'm just tired of the... I'm tired... I'm tired. That's basically all I want to say. Well, you've been studying for the MCAT well, every night. I'm, I'm just night. tired of the, like, the, just the fighting. Like, ugh. I, like, on Twitter, I've, like, muted most political words because it's just so annoying. Like, I don't even understand nothing. Twitter. I don't know why anybody gets on Twitter. Well, it's just, it's just, like, you're either, like, calling someone a libtard or you're calling someone, like, a racist, misogynistic person. Like, it's it's just like nothing we're all on the same team guys like obviously there's crappy people on either side but most people should be in the middle i think like the the there shouldn't be it's, it all comes down to like the two-party polarization stuff you know i think we've talked about this before but it's just it's just gross and i'm just tired and i <laughs> and i'm barely into my like voting years and i'm already like sick of it and i don't know well i don't blame you at all but i think you're absolutely right and even if you're not in the middle even if you're on either extreme we should be able to function in a society where we can still talk to each other where we can get along with each other Uh, my brother rob uh, reminded me that ronald reagan used to call up tip o'neill and say is it six o'clock yet tip because Tip O'Neill, he was the Democratic Speaker of the House during the Reagan years. Okay. And Tip O'Neill had said, you know, my job from 9 to 5 is to fight everything that you do and to hate your guts. But at 6 o'clock, we're off the clock and we can go get a drink together. 
and they were genuinely friends, even though they fundamentally Why was disagreed. it his job to hate him, though? I don't understand. We well, should well, all be working it, towards a common I'm good. I'm paraphrasing. I don't think he, pro- I pro- he probably didn't say hate. He probably said, my job is to work against you, because ideologically they believed opposite things. Okay. They believed very different things. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a difference of political opinion. Right. What's wrong is when that translates into personal hatred. And I think we're seeing, I think Sasha Baron Cohen's show is exacerbating that, even as it's well, trying I'm sure to reveal it. they're not going to show the clips of people like being, being normal. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. Like with like uh, just news media, they're going to show what supports their point, you know? Yeah, the goal is to be able to create controversy. Right. Well, we haven't it's, it's created the, it's controversy the same, here. Oh, I was going to say, it's like the same. Uh, it's like what we're supposed to be doing. No, the same, the same reasoning behind like shows like The Bachelor. You know, like no one wants to watch the girls get along. Like we want to watch them pull <laughs> each other's hair and throw wine in each other's faces. Like that's why the villains and stuff always get to be the most popular. Like we don't want to watch them like sit down and talk to each other normally. That's not fun. That's not interesting. That's very true. So the, um, my, the moral story is The Bachelor has a lot of applications to everyday life and politics. I think that's a great point to end on. So The Bachelor is the meaning of life summed up. In, I would totally watch like a White House version of The Bachelor. What? Who, who would be on it? Uh, just like, I don't know. Like It wouldn't have to be like anybody famous, but like staffers and stuff, you know? Okay. Like, but they would all be it would like it would be set in like the capital or something like well that sounds delightful i don't know if if anybody from a major tv network is listening to this call me up i have ideas sounds good well i'm jim bennett i'm abby bennett and this has been dinner table dinner politics. table politics yes i know i know all right we'll talk to you next week <laughs>